Welcome, everybody, to the Spawn of Me podcast. This is episode 88 of our show. This is our special PlayStation Experience 2015 episode. I had the pleasure of going to San Francisco this past weekend and hanging out and hanging out with some of the best developers on the planet, hanging out with the folks uh, who are big Sony enthusiasts who went out from all across the world to come and hang out in Moscow and Center uh, in San Francisco and uh, hang out and play all the new games that you're going to be playing in the next couple of months and future years. Um, what we did, or what I did, was to run around for about, <laughs> goodness gracious, two days straight uh, and run around on the show floor, talk to some people who I've been trying to find and trying to hang out with for a long time. And we finally nailed some of those folks down and got a microphone in their faces and hung out with them and talked to them about the games they make and hopefully some games that you will want to play in some upcoming future dates. So we have a couple of cool cats on the show. We have four interviews for you this week. Uh, We have our first one is coming straight out of the Netherlands. Uh, We got a chance to talk to Thyman Bink, who if you had ever heard of a game called Metrico, uh, it was a a platformer that was based on kind of infographic uh, art style. Um, I loved it on the Vita. It was something that I kind of dug because I'm a huge math nerd and huge infographic nerd. So I said, you know what? I really like this game. I'm going to play more of this. And now they're going to make a sequel to it called Metrico Plus. So we got a chance to talk to Thyman and and, and hang out with him for a little bit and then talk about why Metrico Plus is going to be so dope. So I'm going to hand it over to Thyman and uh, let him tell you why Metrico is going to be something that you're going to want to play on your PS4 in the future. Uh, My name is Thyman. I'm one of the three guys from Digital Dreams who are making Metrico Plus and previously did Metrico. Uh, we're based in the Netherlands and uh, visiting P- PlayStation Experience uh, to uh, see what people think of the game. So how's the show been so far? I know it just literally opened up. We've seen a bunch of people kind of walk through and hang out and kind of talk to you and, and play the game. What has been some of the kind of uh, reaction to the game? I know a lot of folks liked it when it first came out. So, so how are people kind of digging it now? Uh, well, as you said, it's, it's only been open. I think it's only been out there of open for an hour or something, but I've already had a few people play, and uh, the game is not for everyone. We know this, <laughs> but I've not seen any disappointment. I've seen, I get some good reactions already, and uh, I think it's a promising start. So, so what I love about your game is, one, it's a gorgeous game. The aesthetic is beautiful. It has this like really super awesome minimalistic kind of, um, aesthetic, but also super vibrant, and I love the point. It's like the foreground background interplay is really something I've always kind of thought was really cool. Um, and you've kind of done some more cool things with that on the newest game. Um, how did you kind of come with that aesthetic in the first place? Because I know that that was something I, when I first played it, that I wanted to ask you if I had a, ever got the chance to hang out and talk to you. There's uh, a little thank you for the compliment. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, so, Metrico and uh, Metrico Plus. Uh, is a world set in infographics, and infographics are bar diagrams and, and pie charts and line graphs, and these are very simple and abstract visualizations of data usually, um, and uh, that makes for a very abstract and minimalistic game. Now, the reason why we started exploring this as a visual uh, as a visual component of the game is basically is actually actually the reason why we started making the game in the first place. We we saw infographics come up as an as an art form uh, it popped up in, in pop culture there was this uh, divisor in Iron Man that uh, you know it had some cool like uh, motion graphics in it and it gave all sorts of data and you see uh, saw in newspapers like the price of oil 
being depicted in oil barrels. Mm -hmm. And so you saw it come up in all sorts of places, but we didn't see it like anywhere in in games. Like I only literally only saw it in the portal as sort of the end when you start in a world or in a puzzle and it's like, okay, you're gonna use these things, but that was about it. Yeah, I, I it's funny that you pulled on uh, Iron Man and Jarvis and in the in the visor and things as being like uh, 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 what's the word I'm trying to find? Inspirations for, for Metrico in a lot of ways. Are you a math nerd? You have to be a math nerd to make well, a game like this. I mean, you're a programmer and a designer, so you kind of have to be a little bit of a, na a math nerd to, to make and conceive a game like this. I uh, <laughs> I, I did computer <laughs> science, so I'm, I, I have a background sort of in math, but uh -huh. uh, actually, you don't have to be calculating everything we, the data visualization really helps in, well, simplifying what you're doing. Okay. As long as you figure out, you just have to figure out what you're doing and why something is happening, and then you don't really need to do a whole lot of calculations or you know, make subtractions or the square root of anything. Right. And when I when I say the and when I say math, uh, you have to be kind of a math nerd to love this game. Yeah. I, I mean it in terms of not not exactly not not calculations, but being able to see something on a y and x axis try to figure out exactly what that means through trial and error and then continue through the, through the puzzles. Yeah, it makes more sense to some people who are more into math and statistics than it makes to other people, but we don't want to exclude the people that don't like math all that much. <laughs> but, you know, there is, I guess some people feel more at home in the world from the, from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. And I, other people are, need to be drawn in more by the vibrant sort of like stuff that you mentioned earlier. So, so uh, Metrico Plus... Um, it's here on the floor, so people can come by and hang out and check it out. Um, I know that Metrico is still on PlayStation Store, so if you want to play the first one to get a kind of uh, grip and handle on how the game plays, you can do that. I know there's some, also some new mechanics that are in the game. I know not necessarily you can go into all of them just yet, but if you kind of want to dig into a little bit of what the new Metrico is going to kind of bring to the table as opposed to, to, to the latest, I mean, to, the, to the previous iteration. So... Um you mentioned earlier that I mean, there is a Metrico that was out on Vita. Yes. And we really loved it. It was our first console game. And we had a lot of great and positive reactions. We also had some less positive reactions. <laughs> I mean, we really try and draw people out of the shell. And some people are comfortable in the shell and don't want to be drawn out. And that's totally fine. Right. But, um, like, the audience of the Vita is limited. There, there are plenty of people with a Vita. And they're great people to, to make a game for it. But... We wanted to reach more people, so we needed we needed to try other platforms. And then the PlayStation 4 is is a great great platform to you know to, to go for. And Steam is something that you know, reach millions of people. So that coming from there, um, the Vita had some hardware that we used, mm -hmm. like the gyroscope and the camera, that we don't have on these other platforms. So we had to discard the mechanics that we're using those and come up with new ones, or or we could try and retarget like the puzzles that we had into the new ones. But we thought that was too cheap, and it like we really really try and build around this one mechanic and make you understand every single aspect and like, sub aspect of what such an action entails. That we really thought, okay, we need to do this from the ground up with the new worlds that we're gonna have to make. Right. So we got new mechanics in in Metrico Plus. Uh, we've also got like the visuals are getting a huge upgrade because as you can imagine the Vita has a small <laughs> screen but your screen on the PlayStation 4 is not probably not going to be like 
940 <laughs> pixels or 960 pixels by. That's know, a like, very small television that you would have yeah, to have in your home. Yeah, that would be like those are black and white old ones. <laughs> so like the, the visuals need to come up and go with that system that you're using. And then finally, there was a story or a premise in Metrico, yeah. but literally no one got that. <laughs> um, so we're dropping in way more hints of a story. Nice. Um, it's still going to be abstract. It's, there's going to be no text whatsoever. Okay. But we're giving you a lot more hints to you know start thinking about what this world is about and what you're doing and uh, what the consequences are of your actions. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm such a huge fan of what you guys are doing because I like to kind of feel a little bit stupid, but I think it's good because I'm of the old school belief that. You will definitely find your way through a puzzle. You can definitely find your way through a level if you try hard enough. Um, and I'm learning that Metrico in the previous game, and now I'm sure with this one, in the demo that I played, I'll be able to kind of wrap my brain around it in a way uh, that I wasn't necessarily able to do before because I'm thinking about it differently. I'm not kind of leaning on the, on the little bits and pieces that I had before with the, with the Vita and gyroscope and all those things. Now it's, it's going to be laid out in a different format for me. Which, I, which I'm really excited for, and I'm really happy that you guys are getting a chance to make a second game, because I really love the first one. Thank you very much, man. It's <laughs> great to hear, yeah. Yeah, I was super excited. I was like, I'm an infographic nerd. This is coming out. This is awesome. And now you're making a second one, so it's even more awesome. So we're going to wrap it up. This is PlayStation 2015. This is Kali from Hanging Out. Uh, and thank you so much for hanging out with us and, and letting me get a chance to, to play Metrico Plus. Thank you for your interest. I'm glad. I'm glad to be uh, assistance. Oh, of course. We'll definitely bug you to be on the show and talk about it some more if we can. I'd love to. Awesome, yeah. awesome. So, folks, we're going to do a couple more uh, runs around the floor. We're going to hang out some bits, and uh, we'll definitely get back to you in a few. Peace, y'all. Next up on this episode is Salim Deboos, whose game Nog has me enchanted in many, many different ways. It's gorgeous. It's uh, it's beautiful. It's smart. It's a puzzler that is taking place inside the heads of monsters. Um, it's also in VR, which is really, really cool. Um, we got a chance to sit down and talk to Salim about his game and talk about why it's so awesome and why it might be one of my favorite games of PlayStation Experience 2015. All right, folks, this is PlayStation Experience 2015. This is Kyle. I'm hanging out with Salim Deboos. And I have to say, I, I, you know, I am one of those people who will not gloat over people. <laughs> I will, it takes a lot for me to be super excited about something. Um, but I just got a chance to play Nog. And so let me give you a quick instant, like, mini backstory. Uh, Steve from Fulbright. Uh, was listening to him talk about Nog at XOXO and was super excited when I heard about it because I know when Steve uh, Steve talks about a game that a lot of people are like, uh-oh, that's a dope <laughs> game that people that people are going to like. Um, so just give us a little bit of background on on Nog and, and why you made it. And and, and it's the aesthetic is, is one of those things where it's like, as soon as you see it, you're like, no other game looks like this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so give, give, give the folks back in... Uh, Chicago, as we call it, uh, a little bit of background on Nog and yourself. Sure. So Nog is a puzzle game that takes a, uh, place across a series of giant monster heads. Uh, and each head has a world inside of it. And you can flip uh, seamlessly between the front and the back. And every head has its own puzzle. But uh, the game is really inspired by things like uh, kids' toys, like Polly Pocket or Mighty Max. You know, those like toys that you'd come to and then you can open them up 
and there's a whole world inside. And you yeah. kind of like we just really love the way kids treat their toys and approach them and build worlds in their imagination around around their toys, and that sort of undirected play. Where there's no one telling you what to do, where to go, how to play. It's really up to you. Uh, so th those were sort of the inspirations that we, we really uh, that really spoke to us, and we wanted to turn that into this digital world where we could explore these themes and, and aesthetics, but in a way that you could never do in the physical. In the physical. What I what I love about because I, I have to say of all the things I've played today, this is by far the, my favorite. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Um, it 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 has this kind of aesthetic and feel that you know a lot of people throw around the word whimsical which mm -hmm. is which which would fit but it's such an intentional kind of aesthetic and, and, and graphical style that also leads to um, just being the kind of surface layer for this really smart puzzle uh, puzzle game that you've created um, can you kind of talk about why you decided to do a puzzler like this because I think I think it's 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 interesting in the way that you kind of decided to do it with a super whimsical style, these monster heads that you kind of dig into and like like futz around with yeah. and kind of move around. Yeah. But also when you go into the actual uh, progress of, of finishing a puzzle or getting through the levels of a puzzle, it's such kind of small, minute details that are there yeah. that when you get it, you automatically have that, oh, wow, that was so awesome. I totally yeah. figured it out. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, so a lot of the aesthetics and the design is intrinsically linked to uh, Sam Boucher, who's the artist and designer on the game. Like, his aesthetic. Like, ah. really, uh, this is his baby in a lot of ways. And he's a 2D vector artist, uh, and he learned 3D just to make this game. Wow. And the 3D itself is really his 2D aesthetic. Like, turned into 3D and it's really amazing and, and also as a 2D artist he already had a very unique sensibility uh, you know everything's really rounded very colorful uh, very bold palettes um, no sharp edges and I think like I mean when I first saw his art I was like I have to make a game with this dude yeah you know I, I just really loved it uh, and I invited him over to our, to our, to our bedroom studio at the time <laughs> <laughs> and we we're like okay I don't know what this is going to be, but let's do something. And I think uh, we spoke a lot about the, the subtleties uh, yeah. that you have to pay attention to. And a lot of that is really intentional. It's really about getting you to slow down mm. and getting you to kind of lose yourself in the game world and kind of... Uh, like you have to pay attention you have to observe you have to like the game won't tell you what the connections are you have to make those connections yourself right. so by by slowing things down it forces you to be more considerate of every little element uh, and that consideration i think goes to a more thoughtful game design and a thoughtful puzzle design yeah. um and it lets us do really nice things where some of the, the puzzle cues are purely auto, audio based um, i love and, that yeah and and i think you know a lot of games are too afraid to do something that's that subtle because they don't want to lose too many players and you know and, and it's not like we want to make this esoteric or weird or sure. off-putting we want this to be really accessible to a wide range of people but we also want to be able to explore these elements in games that are, matter to us that aren't necessarily part of the mainstream design I, I I'm kind of glad you touched on the music part because I as, as a person who loves uh, games that incorporate music into not just the aesthetic, but also into the actual mechanics of the game. Um, and, and, and I'm happy also that you talked about this game being a game that you kind of want to play a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel, unfortunately, that, you know, <laughs> spaces like this that are that are kind of amazing in the fact that they have so many things going on, um, it even makes me more excited to play this when I'm, when I'm home with it. So that way I can kind of 
appreciate even more all the small details that went into yeah. it. Um, the, the musical kind of notes and the musical kind of, kind of uh, uh, touches that you put into the game, you talked about why it's important for those parts to be elements that are linked to it. Um, do you feel that games like these, or, or Nog specifically, uh, wouldn't have been the same kind of game without without the kind of musical the kind of musical kind of flourishes. That yeah, I, I think the music is as integral to the design as the visuals. Honestly, yeah. uh, my friend Remzi Karubi uh, is doing all the sound design and and, uh, and composition, and it's kind of amazing to hear what he's coming up with because he was originally a metal musician, <laughs> which is really some of the like the furthest thing away from this sort of dreamy zen-like soundscape. Uh, that soft guitar that builds over time. Right. Um, but to me, it's like if someone plays a game and they don't put on headphones or they have it on mute, right. uh, which happens a lot at expos like this where people just want to pick up a controller and play a game and see what it's about, I just stop them and I'm like, look, if you're not going to play with headphones, it's not worth playing. Right. Because it's, it's just not... It's like playing like a game like Journey without the music, you right. know? It would be a lesser experience for it. Um, and like we're so carefully designing each soundtrack with each puzzle in mind and with the visuals in mind and uh, Remzi goes through something like uh, he's gone up to like 20 revisions in the past for one level <laughs> oh, just because we all want to get it perfect right. um, like that's how important the audio design is and what's amazing is like it's not just like a soundtrack that's playing in the background it's tied to your progress through the level different instruments are triggered depending on different interactions that you're playing with right um if you're in if you're further on in a level further on in the puzzle the music has built up a bit it's swelled a little bit more it's become a bit more upbeat it's just kind of like this it's, it's, it's just part of the texture of the game and yeah. I feel like you can't have this sort of experience without sound being as important as everything else and I think it's really sh a big shame that so many games outsource their audio mm. um, or just think it's something that comes at the end of development right. you know like a lot of times uh, Ramsey will just compose to visuals uh, or to themes that we give him and then we'll refine and go back and forth with the art uh, and I think that's really integral to like our process. It's kind of like the people that we are again. It's like we really love audio. We love audio g games that have dynamic audio, so we want to incorporate that. And it's cool because most of the games that do audio in a cool way are very intense or upbeat. Right. While here we get to like experiment with audio as a more subtle texture, sort of weaving in and out with the gameplay. Like uh, this is this is kind of one of those games where I swear I wish I had a better sound system. <laughs> like I want to hear the kind of undertones that yeah. are coming through with, yeah. through the soundscape, and, and, and when you switch from one head to the other, which is uh, the the way you kind of need to progress through an actual yep. level, um, it, it, it changes in such kind of uh, um, um, textured and also kind of subtle ways, but also does have that kind of understanding that this ramp up means that you're doing well. You're, yep. you're getting through the level, exactly. kind of moving past the last stage that you had. Um, I know that you're doing this as well on VR. Yep. Uh, PlayStation VR will have a version of Nog on it. Um, and I got the chance to play that as well. I think the, the, the interesting part of kind of the VR uh, version of it was you don't, you, you kind of move, and, and I guess I'll, I'll kind of back up a step. You kind of move through the heads by using the D-pad mm -hmm. uh, to kind of do that. In the VR space, you can turn your head and see the other, other heads that are around you. Um, I think to a certain extent, like the the parts that I noticed more about the VR version was it was how how um, it kind of made all the art 
pull through a little bit more. And it also kind of had these flourishes that had uh, the environments kind of sparkle or kind of, um, uh, there was a snow, snow, uh, snowflakes that kind of come down through the visor and kind of come towards you. And when you swivel and kind of move through the spaces, uh, there, there are a little bit of um, differences in that too. What, what were some of the kind of the uh, ideas that you wanted to kind of implement from the non-VR version to the VR version that, that kind of come through? Yeah, so I, I think the the space that VR really lets us uh, play with is the that toy-like element ah. uh, where, you know, you have this object in front of you, this physical-looking, tactile-looking object. And, you know, in, in the non-VR mode, uh, if it were zoomed in a bit more. So the monsters are a bit more in your face. Uh, they take up more of the background. Uh, there's less background to look at. Um, and they're a lot more present. But in VR, we pull it out a little bit. We okay. scale them down. Uh, so you feel uh, larger than the monsters. Well, I feel like in non-VR, the monsters are larger than you, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and, then in, and then when you have that in VR, you can just like tilt your head, lean forward a bit, and look around it, and it really feels like a little like you know Kinder toy yeah, yeah, in yeah. front of you that you're holding. You can look around it, you can manipulate it, and I think that element of and then and then having them around you, it's yeah. kind of like this this uh, abstract digital uh, shelf, you know, this void yes. of toys that uh, you can cycle between. Um, and I think that element of scale where suddenly you're the big one really uh, changes how you approach the, the puzzles and how you just, the fact that suddenly the, this, this minimalist background void becomes really important. So like having things like particles of snow and yeah. rain and, and other elements uh, make you feel a lot more grounded in that world space. Yeah, it was, it was a very different feeling and it should be. It's a different experience, yeah. but I feel like it, it worked really well in... There are very few games that work well in both circumstances, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, uh, the, the the kind of I'll, I'll use the flat I'll say flatter version of um, of Nog that was not in VR had a lot of that feeling to it, but it also kind of kind of put it in a, in its kind of shadow boxy kind of uh, a, a, a frame where it felt like I'm digging into it. You know what I mean? I'm digging into it to kind of move things around and manipulate things. And the VR version felt like I'm moving around. It, yeah. Um, which was which was nice to feel both to both parts of yeah. that. Um, I'm trying to think, man. I'm so, I'm so excited <laughs> by, by the fact that I got to play it first. Um, what are some of the kind of ideas about how many levels you want to do? Um, about when it might be out in, in, in people's hands, they'll be able to get a chance to play it. Uh, yeah. What's some, what's some of the ideas on that? So we're we're aiming for a late spring, early summer release on PlayStation, uh, and then it's coming out to Steam and iOS just a few months after. Oh, nice. um, sorry, I lost I lost the track no, of the fine. question. Oh, uh, uh, basically, when when is the game coming out, and how many levels do you think yep. you're going to have for the game? Um, for for the amount of levels, it's kind of an open question for us. I don't yeah. think we've really settled on that. Um, we, we we know how many heads we have in the game, yes. but how long each one takes is really up to us. And it just is kind of a matter of, like we kind of have to feel it out. I think it's just really important that we find what the pace of the game is, what mm. the pace people approach it at, and then build from there. And that's kind of an open question for us until we have every head slotted in. And, and get a sense for how people play with them, yeah. then we'll decide how long each one should be. But I think at the very least, it, this kind of I, this sort of puzzle experience that we want it to be, it's hard to put a number on it because it feels arbitrary, but I, I want there to be at least two to four hours of gameplay okay. where you like are just interacting 
with a bunch of heads and trying to figure out what the puzzle is and listening to all that music. The beautiful part about, and, and, and even when I was stuck, because I'm one of those people who are like, I don't mind feeling stupid. <laughs> I don't mind like being stuck for a bit yeah. and trying to figure it out and then try to like poke at it and prod at it and kind of figure out where I'm at. But the what you've nailed is as soon as you do open the head and you get to the next part, there is no other feeling that, that kind of captures that. Yeah, there's and a you, and you've sense nailed of satisfaction. That. You totally nailed that part where even when I was like a little bit, not I was never frustrated, but I was also just like, all right, maybe I'm not in the right spot. But then when I got to where I was supposed to be, I was like, wow, that felt good. Yeah. So so yeah. that feedback loop is gonna be is gonna be awesome for folks when they get a chance to play it. So I'm super excited for them to get a chance to play Nog and and hear more from you and your crew making this game. So. Uh, Salim, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us. Uh, thanks for having um, me. And definitely, please, uh, you know, let folks know where they can find your stuff, where they can find the game, when it's about to come out, your site, if you're on Twitter, any of that kind of stuff. Yep. So uh, the best place to keep track of development is definitely Twitter. Uh, we're at Coop Mode. Yep. It's actually co-op, but <laughs> we, we don't get dashes on Twitter. So it's K-O-O-P-M-O-D-E. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. All right, folks. So uh, definitely we're going to check this out when this comes out. Uh, we're going to have, hopefully, Celine will be on the show with us at some point and be able to talk about it once we have it in the wild. Um, and we'll definitely let you folks know in Bricago how much uh, we, we like this game. So uh, we will see you back uh, around when we have our next, uh, next show. Uh, and we'll be back soon. And peace, y'all. Peace. Next up, we take a trip back to the Netherlands to talk to Niles Monshauer, who is the developer on Tricky Towers coming out of Weird Beard Studios. Um, here we go into a little bit of why this take on Tetris is so much fun. Uh, it's about four players doing madness to each other while they try to make their towers as big as possible in a quick amount of time. Um, I had a chance to play it. It was a lot of fun. And Niles was a very, very cool cat to talk to. So we'll let Niles take it away. Um, hi, I'm uh, Niels from uh, Weird Beard Games, and we are the developers of Tricky Towers. Um, we're a studio based in uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and uh, we've been around for like eight years, yeah. but this is our first PlayStation 4 title we're making, so we're really excited. So first of all, you guys have one of the better studio names of any studio that I've heard in a very long time, uh, but you also have a really fun twist on the Tetris kind of uh, genre. Uh, can I want to go into a little bit of, of, of what Tricky Towers is? Yeah, sure. Um, so Tricky Towers is a um, yeah frantic action puzzler, <laughs> physics-based Tetris, you could say. <laughs> yeah, it's it was fun because I got a quick demo of it. I'd seen the uh, the trailer for it that you guys were, were lovely enough to send over and show, and I was like, okay, cool. So you have Tetris and you have like the long kind of height stacking parts of the game but the physics part that you've added to it plus the kind of uh four player uh screw over your friends uh kind of aspect to it put a really big twist on it for me that made it even more fun can you talk a little bit about that too yeah so so what we did is is instead of uh trying to complete lines you have to try and build to the finish line as quickly as possible um but because it's physics based uh, if you don't build stable, everything falls over. And to, to top that off, we, we give you some magic powers, uh, either which will help yourself or you choose to, uh, well, use them on your opponents and try to mess up their towers and their creations. So, so I've already played at least two rounds. I've lost both <laughs> because I'm not good at building and or, or, and or structural uh, stability. Um, 
the, the fun parts I like uh, that I played was that the physics parts of trying to figure out how to kind of control where things are falling and also the kind of twist on when things are kind of breaking in your in your in your on your your tower itself I kind of trying to figure out a way to kind of pull it back from the edge was that was that a huge part of the kind of the game uh, game mechanic that you were thinking about yeah yeah the, the goal is to to yeah well not say teach but but <laughs> let people think about like construction and interlocking and making something stable and think about balance um, it's actually bringing you back like when you're a, a child and playing with blocks and then you try to build something and it will tumble over all the time and and you see it fall and in your heart it's like ouch but you also have to <laughs> laugh about it because it's like everything is tumbling down so that's also funny yeah it's it's like the aesthetic is really pretty it's really cute i like the kind of the, the wizard uh, aesthetic where folks are like kind of like i'm gonna put this spell on your blocks and then like you have this really big block that comes out of nowhere when you have a, a good you have a good power and a bad power that you kind of get as power ups, right? Yeah, yeah. So every time you you reach certain height, you get a new uh, magic spell, and you can you you get both the choice to use a, uh, a positive one, which you will use on yourself, uh, like for instance uh, a vine, which will glue your bricks a bit together to make your your uh, construction more stable, or you you use it as a bad spell, and then you for instance have uh, the mystery big brick, which will change bricks into pianos or windmills or whatever <laughs> so i'm sure you've played this game with you know most folks when they kind of test their games out they do these with friends family and and, and the like how many fights have there been in the household that you've gotten into because you've like ruined someone else's tower yeah so so i don't play with my friends i let my <laughs> friends play with each other so they will fight each other and i just watch that's that's what i do oh so so basically you're the mad scientist and you're like i'm going to make this happen and then watch people destruct it <laughs> yeah basically that's that's it yeah that's that's pretty awesome that's pretty awesome so how long again has the game been in development uh we started uh beginning of of 2015 nice um so about a year now and how's how's the reception been for for folks who have come by on the floor today uh, very good. People yeah. like at first they're like, "Oh, I know this game," and then they see the first brick fall and like, "Wait, they don't know this game," and then they're <laughs> they're completely messed up. So oh that's good. God. So, do you happen to have is there is there a release date? Is there a date that is coming out uh, we, soon? We don't have uh, released it yet, but we'll be beginning oh. off next year. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much for for hanging out with us and talking about Tricky Towers. Hopefully, I get a chance to play this soon because it was really fun. So, thanks again for having us, bye. Great for me as well. Awesome. So check out Tricky Towers when it comes out. Uh, we hopefully will have Niles on uh, later when uh, the game comes out, and we'll be talking about it even more then. So we'll see you guys later, and we will speak to you soon. We saved a really cool interview for last as well. We got to hang out with Derek Carroll, who is the PvP designer on Destiny. Uh, he talked a little bit about the Sparrow Racing League, and I got the chance to play it. It's super fun. You're going to love it. It's really, really awesome. Uh, we talked a little bit about how it's going to play. Uh, we got a chance to talk about the loot. And he's also going to talk about, you know, who's the best person in the, in the bungee offices who is uh, kicking everybody else's butt while they race around on these Sparrows. So uh, take a listen to this, and uh, we'll be right back after the interview. This is Kali. This is PlayStation Experience 2015. We are here on the floor. We're hanging out with Derek Carroll, who is PvP designer on Destiny. We have some cool stuff that you heard during the keynote that got revealed, and I got a chance to play it today, which was a lot of fun. We uh, we have Derek here. Why don't you tell us about what actually I got a chance to kind of hang out and play today? 
Okay, yeah. So the the d- winter event for Destiny, the Taken King, is Sparrow Racing. Yes. It's a three-week event running from Tuesday the 8th, yes. December 8th, through the 29th. Uh, after that, it's, it's gone unless we hear good things from the community. Uh, but we think we will based on the reaction we've had today. So the, so the crazy thing is this. So when we first popped Destiny into our machines, we got super excited. We had this vehicle that we can kind of roam around on. But I'm sure everyone at first was like, when are we going to be able to race these bad boys? Right. And now we have the chance to kind of do that. Um, what was the kind of impetus for that? Was it just the community saying, we really want to see if we can do that on these on these vehicles? Is that something that you wanted to, to kind of figure out how you wanted to kind of incorporate them better in both, I guess, not necessarily the story through this mode, but, but just the kind of overall overarching kind of modes that you have already kind of pulled together already? Sure. Um, yeah, the desire comes from a couple places. First is... If you give someone a vehicle, they're going to race it. That's just what people do. Yeah. And so from the pre-alpha of of Destiny, people were tooling around. They're like, yeah, let's race. Um, And so they did it very informally. Um, And so we want to give them structure. We want to give them, you know, a place to do this. Uh, But when we were first first building out Destiny, we wanted to focus on the things that we really needed to nail to, like, figure out what Destiny is and how we're going to get people on board with this new kind of new thing. Um, if you'll remember, you know, when Destiny first launched, it was like, what is this? What is this game? This is crazy. Uh, so having racing as part of that mix wasn't didn't really make sense for us at the time. Sure. Um, but it's always there. That desire to race and compete is always there. And so uh, we had a hackathon last year huh. where people just within the team got together and they pitched their own little they, little small team projects just on their own time, kind of on a weekend with pizza and stuff. Sure. And so that's where the uh, color bl- uh, colorblind uh, settings that we have in the in the options huh. menu came from. That oh. came out of a, ha- a hackathon project. Nice. And then sparrow racing. One team did a sparrow racing prototype, and it was kind of like, yeah, this could be a thing. Yeah. And so, you know, we had that that germ of an idea. You know, we had a oh, okay, if people want to race. We have this prototype. When's the time? When can we put people on this and and get it ready? Um, so we did that. You know. Up until now, and here we are. So, so the beauty of you know, kind of adding this part to it is, at least when I just got to fi- just got to finish playing, it was, it, it felt like it wasn't a secondary thing to kind of uh, tack on to the game. You know, you had some chance, I had some time to kind of um, work on Taken King and kind of flesh that out in a, in a big way. Which again, you guys did an amazing, phenomenal job on that. So kudos you. to you all for that. Um, but a mode like this feels, even unlike Iron Banner or, or a Tales of uh, Tribes of Osiris, where it feels like once folks get a handle on this, that they're going to want more and more of this kind of content. Um, but when, you, when you're thinking about kind of having those kind of workshops and kind of, kind of hackathons that, that go out, and something like this kind of fits, or it feels like it feels really good, how does that kind of work in, in, in some of the structure of saying, you know, okay, this was something that we kind of didn't plan on, but now we can totally use this to kind of like push into our into our game proper. I'm not sure there's one question in there. Uh, 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 yeah, that was a multi-layered <laughs> sparrow race uh, of questions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sparrow racing is definitely a very different activity. Sure. Uh, we tried to kind of hit activities for every mood was one of our kind of internal sayings. Uh, so Trials of Osiris is on one extreme end of sure. the PvP competitive you know, scene. And this is, it still can be extremely competitive, 
Um, it's just a very different, you know, you're racing, you're just trying to be ahead, you're trying to find the perfect line. You're racing against the track and the enemies as much as you're racing against the, you know, the humans players. Right. Um, so there's people in the studio who don't really like Crucible. They, they don't really get into the PvP, sure. but they love Sparrow Racing. So it allows them this, this different way to be competitive and to succeed, uh, which is really cool. Get sweet loot. Uh, yeah, yes. So that was that, I was just about to get to that point. So it's not just for show. It's not just to be pretty, which it already is, and it's freaking ridiculously pretty. Uh, uh, you can get loot out of this bad boy too, right? Yep. So, 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 want to talk about why you decided that loot was going to be a part of this uh, part of this process too? Well, loot's going to be a part of every Destiny activity. I right. mean, that's it. It really drives a certain. You know, some players, I we call them. Sometimes we call them old dinosaurs. It's like. <laughs> You know, if 1996 me heard me talking about loot, I would get, you know, it'd beat me up. Because it's, you know, it was just, a, that was a different kind of game. But, totally. But, you know, the Crucible, even though I played just to be, just to win and just to, you know, be competitive and just shoot people, uh, well, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> you, you, you said that um, yeah. with such a big smile on your face. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, so I'm in it for the first person action. Uh, but then you're like, oh, and here's a sweet new gun, and here's sweet new stuff. It's right. like, oh, okay, I'm not going to say no to that. It's like, oh, this makes me play better or different or a whole new thing I can learn. Yeah, okay, I'm in. I'll do that. So is it going to be, besides the new loot, which we're all dying to get more loot, more loot um, there was some of that that got discussed during the actual um, keynote today. Uh, are there going to be new sparrows as well that are kind of be just for racing, or are they going to be kind of everyday sparrows that you've gotten maybe out of a race that would be kind of more tuned towards racing. Right, yeah, that was one of the things early on when we were kind of figuring out how we were gonna do sparrow racing and release it for real. There was this notion of racing sparrows that were just for racing that yeah. you'd never be able to use anywhere else. Right. And that felt kind of wrong to us. And so it was a lot more work, but it, it was worth it to basically go back and kind of fix the sparrow and retune it a little bit so that we could have one, the same Sparrow, the same, you know, if you got Time Breaker out of Vault of Glass, yeah. you could bring that into Sparrow Racing and be competitive and win races. It's tricky because that overdrive boost that can blow up on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's still the fastest Sparrow in a straightaway. Um, but all the Sparrows that are part of Sparrow Racing uh, in this new event are trick Sparrows. They're, you can, they do tricks, they do all their cool uh, side dodges and stuff. And you can bring those to on patrol, you can bring them into all your other activities. Okay. So, all right. It's so kind of that destiny thing where you just you're your guardian and you bring all your stuff everywhere. And and the loot that the loot that you guys are putting into the into this particular um, a section of of the game, and that's going to be stuff that's going to basically get you leveled up as much as you need to as well. Too is does it have a level cap or is it? Yeah, most of it is racing specific, and a lot of it has very low light, but you can infuse it. Ah, but okay. there's class items that can drop it up to 320, ah, so nice. you can get really good loot. Um, that you can use everywhere in the game, um, and you can get really cool aerodynamic, you know, it, racing I, suits. I, I kind of love the fact that you guys went straight and like full on with the kind of aerodynamic kind of looks like you're on a, a sleek, a sleek bike when you have your stuff on, it, and it, it kind of adds to the kind of overall aesthetic of, of the new mode, which which I found yeah. really really cool. Yeah, there's a little bit of role playing in there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here to race. Look at. Check it out. <laughs> nice. I'm doing a lot of hand motions. They're totally not not good for a radio. It, it totally works. Radio, radio, people understand when you're doing hand motions on right. radio. They know. They can feel it through the microphone. They know. All right. Um, 
Any any idea of how many uh, how many maps are going to be included in that? So there's two maps that we're showing here. Those are the two maps for the winter event. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 Um, let's see. Are there going to be? Well, that's a little. That's a late. That's a later game question of like, what are the other cool things that you guys are going to do with the Sprout Race? Well, I guess like you said, if it's something that the community kind of likes and digs, uh, is it going to be something that's going to be full on, just like a part of? kind of the hub world when you go back to the tower or is that going to be something that maybe is going to be a reoccurring kind of um, event that happens throughout maybe different parts of the year right well we haven't really decided on a cadence and we're not really discussing the future sure so you know december event that's definitely the winter event of sparrow racing beyond that we don't know again it comes down to what the community says sure. if everybody's dying for it yeah it'll definitely come back so who's the best racer in the office I don't know. There's probably the artists who worked on the <laughs> worked on the tracks. People front on the artists like they're not gamers and don't play super hard. I don't know why that's the case, but well, we know that they yeah. are like busting their butts. That's a, on that's a stereotype. It's yeah. a stereotype. On the on the PvP team, yeah. the artists hold their own. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time out and talk to the folks over in Chicago and Spawn on me. Uh, if you want to hear more about this. And you want to find out exact, exactly when is everything going to be dropping again? December 8th. December 8th. So, man, it's like a couple days now. So by the time this goes up, you should be able to be playing and racing your Sparrows. So let us know how you let us know what you think. Let the folks know uh, over at, at Destiny what you think. And uh, let people know exactly how much you liked it and if you liked all the hand motions that you heard on this recording. I'm doing them now. Hand motions. <laughs> all right, Bricago, we will see you and speak to you soon. Thanks again and peace. Hey everybody, we're back. Um, I hope you enjoyed all these interviews in this special episode. Uh, we try really hard to bring you some really dope content. I bust my butt to run around the country to see if I can get dope folks on the show so we can hang out and talk about all the cool games that they play. Uh, shout out to Sony and PlayStation for for, for getting me in there uh, to go and hang out uh, and, and, and experience the PlayStation experience. Uh, got to see a lot of old friends, a lot of cool new people, uh, even some fans of the show were there to hang out and talk to us. Um, and it was it was a lot of fun to go out there and, and, and play a lot of stuff. Uncharted 4 multiplayer is amazing. Uh, Headmaster, uh, I think, is going to be one of those games where um, if you talk about something that is going to be um, what's going to push VR for PlayStation VR ahead, I think that game is phenomenal. Uh, and there's a bunch of cool stuff just out there that's going to be uh, coming down the pipeline very, very shortly. And uh, if you like the show, let us know. Shoot us some feedback. Uh, shoot it to us at Spawn on Me. Uh, you can hit our contact page uh, on the site, spawnon.me. You can hit up uh, Stubby Stan at Stubby Stan. Or you can hit me up uh, at Kajakins. Uh, and again, if you like content like that and you love stuff like these uh, kinds of interview shows, let us know because we really do like to go out into the field and go hang out with devs and go hang out and play cool stuff. So uh, until next week, uh, we'll have our normal kinds of show. We have a really cool uh, surprise for you. We, we uh, have a really dope interview with two cats that you will definitely like to hear from. Uh, and until then, we will say peace.